A certain pastor was making pastoral visits around the congregation. When he came to one house, it seemed obvious that someone was home, but there was no answer at the door. He knocked, waited, no answer. Knocked again. Sensed there was somebody there, but still no answer. Took out his card and wrote a note, and after signing his name, he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back of the card, stuck it in the door, and went on to another visit. When the offering plate was processed the following Sunday, the pastor found his card, and someone had put it in the plate, adding to it a cryptic message. Genesis 3.10. Reaching for his Bible to check out the citation, he broke out in gales of laughter. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. From the beginning of time, God's voice has been calling out to us. God's voice has been looking for each of us. I think I could even make the case that the whole story of the Bible is God knocking and calling and inviting us into life and faith and fellowship and godly work as God's people. Our tendency might be to hide. Our tendency might be to be afraid. Our tendency might even be to run the other way and get caught up in our own pursuits. God keeps pursuing us, knocking, inviting, calling out to join God in faith, in fellowship, in life, in godly work. When we answer God, when we join God, then we have life and we have peace and we have purpose. I love the way Jesus says it in John 10. I came that you may have life and life in abundance. It's about faith and fellowship with God. Mother Teresa said something similar. She said, we all belong to God and we all belong to one another. And we too readily forget this. And that's why we have so many problems. We have forgotten to whom we belong, to God and to one another. Gregory Boyle is a Catholic priest and a pastor. Both Catherine and I have referred to him before. He works in the housing projects in Los Angeles. He speaks and writes about his life and his ministry, which is very transformative in that very desperate area, the housing projects, where mostly he works with gangs and impoverished and hopeless people around the housing projects. In 25 years of ministry in that area, he's had 180 funerals of gang bangers, young people who killed each other. 180, too many. 
He has persevered. He has created jobs. He's fought for businesses. He's worked against homelessness. And he's offered a different and a more hopeful life for a very struggling community. Much of this you might be interested to read about in his very excellent book called Tattoos on the Heart. Gregory Boyle. Boyle shares his deep concern that there are lives out there in the city and there are lives out there in the world that somehow seem to matter less than other lives. That's what he says. We as God's people, as people who belong to God and as people who belong to one another, have to stand against that. All lives matter, and certainly not some less than others. I think all of us have been confronted recently with some of these ideas. Do some lives lives matter less than other lives? We've watched the news at all. We have this major and worldly concern about refugees, people migrating, people seeking asylum in southern Europe, trying to make their way to northern Europe from their suffering and their pain, the warfare, the crisis of the Middle East and northern Africa. For many months, this was happening. Many months. And those lives seem to matter less than other lives. Hey, they're from Syria. They're from Iraq. They're from messed up countries. But in recent weeks, the world seems to be waking up to the pain and the suffering of so many. And Germany is stepping up and Great Britain are leading with now compassion. And Pope Francis is challenging every Catholic congregation in Europe to adopt a refugee family. And late this week, our own president suggests that this country move from taking 1,500 to maybe tens of thousands of these refugees this year. And we have conversations going on in this church about how we can partner with the larger church through Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, which has already sent hundreds of thousands of dollars to this cause, and Church World Service about what we at Second Pres might do to respond to some of these critical situations. We want to live out the truth. We belong to God, and we belong to one another, and there are no lives that matter less than other lives. All lives matter. God keeps looking for us. God keeps knocking. God keeps calling for us to be about following and faithfulness, life and purpose, and God's work in the world, knocking, calling. And I do not think the best response to that call is found in Kim Davis, the clerk in Kentucky, who wants to defend God and her understanding of marriage. God does not need our defending. God needs our help in spreading compassion in the world. God needs our help with those who are on the margins. God needs our help with those who are fleeing from violence and pain. And they're in our city, and they're all around our world. God's knocking. God's asking. God's appealing. Listen to the words of Jesus today in Mark's Gospel from chapter 8. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You're the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. 
Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus invites us to follow with what shoes we put on every day. Jesus invites us to follow with our lives, giving our whole selves for the sake of the gospel, for a more wholesome and a more hopeful world. Follow me, Jesus says. This whole idea of following is very important all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, this this idea of following is used mostly in two ways. There are numerous references in the Old Testament to following God in the negative sense. That means not following God's ways or following God, but going after other gods. This is always our tendency, isn't it? Going after other gods, following in the wrong way, emphasizing the wrong things, the ways that don't lead to life and wholeness and hope. The wrong thing. Isaiah, in our first lesson, speaks about this. The people seek to respond to God's calling. They've heard the call. They sing. They worship. They even fast. They act religious. But God says, you're serving your own interests. You fast only to quarrel and only to fight. This will not win God's favor. That is not faithful following, the prophet is telling them. So Isaiah points them in the right way of following. Loose the bonds of injustice, he says. Undo the thongs of the yoke, he says. Let the oppressed go free, he says. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them? And not to hide yourself from your own kin? We belong to one another, remember? not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Then you will know faithful following, the prophet's saying. Jesus is only echoing all these words over and over in what Jesus teaches. To follow is to be about the things of Jesus. To follow means to care about the things that Jesus cared about. To follow Jesus means to move in the ways that Jesus moved. To follow means to work in the world with love and generosity, welcome and grace that moves us all closer to the full reign of God. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Follow me. That's where we'll go. That would involve the hungry. That would involve the hurting. That would involve the refugees. That would involve the migrants who are seeking a better life. That would involve our sincere actions as a congregation in this city, our efforts that reveal we belong to God here and we belong to one another here. And we want to move our lives toward God's reign. And there are no lives that matter less than others. All lives matter. It means moving from self-centeredness to God-centeredness like Jesus. Uh, For what will it profit us to gain the whole world and forfeit life? Jesus asked. The only way to life and light is following Jesus, serving God, following as Jesus followed, loving as Jesus loved, doing as Jesus did. This is the constant call. This is the sincere challenge for all of us. We want to keep working on it. We want to help each other with it. Becoming what Jesus would have us be. Moving from membership to discipleship. This is what we're about. This is a really great theme for the beginning of any program year. Today, a great theme for today. We seek to follow Jesus in this place and be about the things Jesus care about. Helping, encouraging, pointing the world, leading the world, being a part of the world in a way that gets closer to the reign of God. That's the journey we're on. It's Friendship Sunday. We want to share some of the great things that happen around this church in God's name. We want to build up community. We want to grow in faith. We want to serve God in the city and the world. It's not ever, ever, ever about how many members we have. It's about how how many members are being transformed as disciples on the journey. The journey toward the kingdom of God. Let me be honest. This is, this is hard stuff. It's challenging. Tough words. These words of Jesus, this invitation to lose your life for the sake of the gospel is frightening. It continually challenges me. Most of us prefer the easy road. Most of us say we're Christian and we like to worship a little bit and give a little bit, but don't let it affect my whole life. And yet, that's the call. It's about our whole lives. And you know what? When we're open to God's Spirit, when we allow our hearts to be enfolded in God's heart, things happen. And we can do great work. And the world looks different. And it becomes more about the peaceable reign of God. We belong to God. We do. And we belong to one another. And there are no lives out there that matter less than other lives. And this is what we want to be about as hard as it is. On Wednesday of this past week, I was tending to life in ministry. I was going to meetings and had other meetings planned. I was trying to schedule some pastoral visits amidst some meetings and juggling various issues of life and faith and church. And then, soon after noon on this past Wednesday, When I had a lunch appointment, I got a frantic call from Sergeant Carol Adams, our friend at the Richmond Police Department. Carol said, Alec, we just had a double homicide in Mosby Court. I need you to come and help me with that crisis. Maybe you read about this event in the paper. Carol and our friends 
we do a lot of things together, working on projects, but she usually does not call me. I was somewhat stunned. I was unclear about what she was asking. I said, you want me to come there to Mosby Court? Yes. You want me to come now? (laughs) Yes, she said. And she gave me the address where I was to come. Accommodation Street. These words of Jesus were echoing in my ear. Deny yourself. Follow. I called the person I was supposed to have lunch with. It was 15 minutes away when I was supposed to meet him. We said another time. Then I drove to Mosby Court. And not a little bit of fear and anxiety and uncertainty were colliding with those words of Jesus. Follow. Deny yourself. Have you ever been to Mosby Court? Have you? Have you been there recently? It's not very far from here. You go around down Shaco Valley and turn left and head up the hill. You're there. You know what? It's a very long way from here. It's a very long way from where we usually hang out and what makes us comfortable and what we do. It's a long way in many ways. To go to Mosby Court, is to be confronted with the idea that Father Boyle remains deeply concerned about and keeps before us. That there are lives that somehow seem to matter less than other lives. It hits you right in the face. There was a double homicide on Wednesday in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, in a very crowded neighborhood. Aside from several Richmond police officers who were in full uniform, I was the only one there who looked like me. I connected with Carol Adams as soon as I got out of my car. She had a very distressed look on her face, and like she always does, she gave me a hug. I'm sure I had a distressed look on my face. She wanted me and a few other pastors whom she had called to walk around to the homes in Mosby Court that were right opposite where the shooting took place and to talk to these residents and to pray with them and to appeal for calm and to convey a message of God's love and hope. As you might guess, 45 minutes after a double homicide, you can literally feel the fear and the anger hanging. It was heavy everywhere. Fear and anger generally linger over that neighborhood because this is an all-too-common scene. It's what emerges when people lose hope. So for about 90 minutes... Ninety long minutes, I walked with some other pastors, African-American pastors, and we talked to residents, the stepmother of one who was killed, the brother of one who was killed, 
other residents we prayed, we tried to encourage them. So much heartache, so much fear and trembling. I felt so out of place. White, wealthy, and a long way from where I usually go. My pastor colleagues, along with Carol and others, reassured me, you need to be here, Ellie. We are glad you are here. God is here. That whole horrible scene, blood on the sidewalk, fear and anxiety, pervasive hopelessness, discouragement, that, this experience has shaped my days and nights since Wednesday. And it has definitely shaped the days and nights of people who live there with this continuing ripple effect of gun violence. One who was killed has three kids at Chimborazo School. The ripple effect goes there. The ripple effect just continues, challenging our city, challenging our world. Isaiah says, loose the bonds of injustice. That's what God cares about. Isaiah says, undo the thongs of the yoke. That's what God cares about. Let the oppressed go free. That's what God cares about. And Jesus says, if you want to be my followers, if you want to be my followers, set your mind on divine things and get on with it. That's what he says. Deny yourself and get on with it. There's a Danish theologian from an earlier time. His name is Soren Kierkegaard, and he reminds us that Christ never asks us for admirers. Christ never asks us to be admirers. He asks for followers. He never asks for worshipers. He never asks for adherents. He asks for followers, for disciples. Christ's whole life on earth, says Kierkegaard, from beginning to end, was destined solely to have followers and make admirers impossible. Jesus came to be the pattern, to leave footprints for the person who would join him, who would be his followers. A follower, says Kierkegaard, strives to be what he or she admires. An admirer keeps himself personally detached. An admirer fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him. And thus he fails to be or strive to be what he admires. An admirer always plays it safe, rarely gives up anything, renounces nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not let his life express what is admired. Not so for the follower, says Kierkegaard. The follower aspires with every strength and will to be what he admires. Jesus keeps calling us, knocking, inviting, asking, seeking us to be engaged. Engaged with our hearts and lives deeply. We're called to follow. We're called to imitate Christ, to love as Christ loved, to serve as Christ served, it's not easy. Yet it's the way to life. We have so much work to do. In this city, in this world, may we, with our individual lives, 
and as a body together in this place. Keep seeking to grow and serve, losing our lives for the sake of the gospel and finding life through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. You who yourself, O God, once walked the earth and left footprints that we should follow, you who from heaven still look down on every pilgrim, strengthen the weary, hearten the disheartened, lead back the stray, give solace to the struggling, you who keep calling forth our lives in following, let your example, let your spirit, let your call show us the way to life and light through Christ we pray. Amen.